Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers, and Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy, Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah, all the things, we are festive. We're festive, I'm Dan. I have a Christmas boner because I'm wearing a onesie. Lindsay has a boner. Bing, bing, Merry <laughs> Christmas. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. I yeah. hope you're having a good holidays. Um, if you're, if you're listening to this or watching this during the holidays, if you're watching, you can see our crazy onesies. Yeah, our we're, whole family we're has festive. these. Yeah. Every year the kids, uh, and Dan and I all have matching pajamas. So these mm-hmm. are, I think these are from two years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, thanks for the reviews again. Say that. And thanks for the Spotify listens. Uh, yeah. we're getting some extra, extra Spotify love. So we appreciate that. Thanks for, thanks for listening wherever you listen. Mm-hmm. But I want to give a special little shout out to Spotify this holiday season. I happen to love the Spotify platform personally, so way to do what I do. <laughs> it it is good. It is good. Eventually, we will get scared to death on the uh, on the on our own app. Uh huh. And then you listen to it there or anywhere else. And, and I know people have been asking like, when is it going to show up on Pandora? And that's just like a behind the scenes uh, yeah. RSS feed. So just hang tight. We're working on it. Yeah, yeah. We're, there's there's some background podcast stuff been going on the last few months, kind of industry wide. And so we're in a, yeah, behind the scenes transitional stuff going on. Yes. We're doing yes. the best we can. Dan, what do we have up up in store this week? Well, it's it's a holiday edition, kind of a Christmas edition of Scared to Death this week. I have two stories that involve Christmas in some way. Okay. Krampus kind of things? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, but the first story is a, well, I don't want to say too much about Krampus. Okay. Uh, the okay. first story is a classic ghost tale, the story of Smee. Smee? Mm-hmm. It's an, it's an English literature classic ghost tale. Weird, I've never heard of it. The second is a modern tale. Well, it's been forgotten more like the last uh, few decades, but I'll, but I'll get into that in a bit. Okay, okay. About the, the, the literary tradition of telling ghost stories around Christmas, not on, around Halloween, actually. Oh, 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 okay. Gotcha. And then the second is a modern tale of a haunting uh, pulled from an online forum that I don't want to say too much about. Uh, both stories have some nice twists. Okay. Am so, I going to be scared? I think, yeah, I, th- I think you will be scared. Okay. Um, fear factor wise, uh, I, I don't, today won't be the highest fear factor wise. It, it's, it's a different uh, ghost story, kind of more classic ghost story. 
you know, like if you have like uh, maybe some kids that you've been like thinking about having to listen to the show, if you're going to pick one episode, mm. today would be that episode. Does that mean I can't swear? I'll, you can I'll, swear. I'll, I'll try to swear. stick to GTFOs instead of because <laughs> you just endorsed this for children and not everyone oh, swears in front of their kids like we well, do. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Still going to be for the for the creeps and peepers. It's, it's still fear. There's still it's, okay. it's, it's, it's ghost stories. I got to tell you, my story, my stories, the stories from our fans this yeah. week. The second story, I couldn't sleep last night. I, I think wow. that that's what oh, did. Yeah, me you in. did have trouble sleeping. Okay, yeah. so never mind. Fear factor still high. Bing bing. And I do love that about what we're doing now with the fan stories. I see the reviews uh, where people talk about a lot of times they're scarier than the stories I find. So I love that we tell a variety of stories. Mm -hmm. One is bound to at least really creep you out. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm not wearing fuzzy socks today because I'm in all in one. All in one. All in one. All in one. But thank you for all my Christmas fuzzies. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have them on other weeks and I've been wearing them around the office and uh, I can't remember who sent them to me, but thanks for my first package of peeps. I ate them all. Yeah. Sorry. Are you ready to do this? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, and, and the first part is just set up. So while you're getting okay, ready, yeah, I can yeah. start setting it up. Let's get into it, Cummins. I mean, even though now the horror season, you know, firmly planted around Halloween, a uh, hundred years ago, you know, Christmas Eve was the time people would go for scares. You know, people would gather around the chimney, tell scary stories, either frighten the kids, scare the guests, you know, at their dinner parties. Kind of think of 1843's A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens as an oh, example, yeah. right, of classic British holiday horror. G uh, ghost of Christmas past. Mm -hmm. Present and future. Yep, exactly. It always makes me think of that movie I worked on. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh, yep. Uh -huh. uh, in early 20th uh, century England, holiday ghost stories were especially popular, and a number of horror authors made sure to release spooky tales just in time for Christmas. Okay. So our first story is one of these tales. Good old-fashioned, gather-around-the-fire, classic literary ghost story. Cool. It was written by Londoner A.M. Burridge, originally published in 1931 as part of the collection of short stories, Someone in the Room... I will be reciting it as is with no revisions. Okay. So please do your best to look past some of the archaic verbiage. Mm, mm -hmm. None of it, in my opinion, really takes away from the story, though. Okay. All right. Time now for the tale of Smee. No, said Jackson with a deprecatory smile. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset your game. I shan't be doing that because you'll have plenty without me. But I'm not playing any games of hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve, and we were a party of 14 with just the proper leavening of youth. We had dined well, it was a season for childish games, and we were all in the mood for playing them. All that is, except Jackson. When somebody suggested hide-and-seek, there was rapturous and almost unanimous approval. He was the one dissentient voice. It was not like Jackson to spoil sport or refuse to do as others wanted. Somebody asked him if he were feeling seedy. No, he answered. I feel perfectly fit, thanks. But, he added with a smile which softened without retracting the flat refusal, I'm not playing hide-and-seek. One of us asked him why not. He hesitated for some seconds before replying, I sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed through playing hide-and-seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well. There was a servant staircase with a door to it. When she was pursued, she opened the door and jumped into what she must have thought was one of the bedrooms. And she broke her neck at the bottom of the stairs. Uh. We all looked concerned, and Mrs. Femley said, How awful! And you were there when it happened? Jackson shook his head very gravely. No, he said, but I was there when something else happened, something worse. I shouldn't have thought anything could be worse. This was, said Jackson, and shuddered and he shuddered visibly, or so it seemed to me. I think he wanted to tell the story and was angling for encouragement. A few requests, 
which may have seemed to him to lack urgency, he affected to ignore and went off at a tangent. I wonder if any of you have played a game called Smee. It's a great improvement on the ordinary game of hide-and-seek. The name derives from the ungrammatical colloquialism, it's me. You might care to play if you're going to play a game of that sort. Let me tell you the rules. Every player is presented with a sheet of paper. All the sheets are blank, except one, on which is written Smee. Nobody knows who is Smee, except Smee himself or herself, as the case may be. The lights are then turned out, and Smee slips from the room and goes off to hide. And after an interval, the other players go off in search, without knowing whom they are actually in search of. One player meeting another challenges with the word Smee, and the other player, if not the one concerned, answers Smee. The real Smee makes no answer when challenged, and the second player remains quietly by him or her. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player, having challenged and received no answer, will link up with the first two. This goes on until all the players have formed a chain, and the last to join it is marked down for a forfeit. It's a good, noisy, romping game, and in the big house, it often takes a long time to complete the chain. You might care to try it. And I'll pay my forfeit and smoke one of Tim's excellent cigars here by the fire until you get tired of it. I remarked that it sounded like a good game and asked Jackson if he had played it himself. Yes, he answered. I played it in that house I was telling you about. And she was there? The girl who broke? No, no, Mrs. Family interrupted. He told us that he wasn't there when it happened. Jackson considered. I don't know if she were there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were 13 of us, and there ought only to have been 12. And I'll swear that I didn't know her name, or I think I should have gone clean off my head when I heard that whisper in the dark. No, you don't catch me playing that game or any other like it anymore. It spoilt my nerve quite a while, and I can't afford to take long holidays. Besides, it saves a lot of trouble and inconvenience to own up at once to being a coward. Tim Vouse, the best of hosts, smiled around at us, and in that smile there was a meaning which is sometimes vulgarly expressed by the slow closing of an eye. There's a story coming, he announced. There's certainly a story of sorts, said Jackson, but whether it's coming or not, he paused and shrugged his shoulders. Well, you're going to pay a forfeit instead of playing? Please. But have a heart and let me down lightly. It's, a, it's not just sheer cussedness on my part. Payment in advance, said Tim, ensures honesty and promotes good feeling. You are therefore sentenced to tell the story here and now. And here follows Jackson's story. Unrevised by me, you know, the author, A.M. Burge, and passed on without comment to a wider public. Some of you I know have run across the Sangstons. Christopher Sangston and his wife, I mean. They're distant connections of mine, at least Violet Sangston is. About eight years ago, they bought a house between the North and South Downs on the Surrey and Sussex border. And five years ago, they invited me to come and spend Christmas with them. It was a fairly old house, I couldn't say exactly of what period, and it certainly deserved the epithet rambling. It wasn't a particularly big house, but the original architect, whoever he may have been, had not concerned himself with economizing in space. And at first, you could get lost in it quite easily. Well, I went down that Christmas, assured by Violet's letter, that I knew most of my fellow guests, and that the two or three who might be strangers to me were all lambs. Unfortunately, I'm the world's, I'm one of the world's workers, and I couldn't get away until Christmas Eve, although the other members of the party had assembled on the preceding day. Even though I had to cut it rather fine to be there for dinner on my first night, they were all dressing when I arrived, and I had to go straight to my room and waste no time. 
I may have even kept dinner waiting for a bit, for I was last down, and it was announced within a minute of my entering the drawing room. There was just time to say hello to everybody I knew, to be briefly introduced to the two or three I didn't know, and then I had to give my arm to Mrs. Gorman. I mention this as the reason why I didn't catch the name of a tall, dark, handsome girl I hadn't met before. Everything was rather hurried, and I am always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever and rather forbidding. The sort of girl who gives the impression of knowing all about men, and the more she knows of them, the less she likes them. I felt that I wasn't going to hit it off with this particular uh, I am of violets, but she looked interesting all the same, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask because I was pretty sure of hearing somebody address her by name before very long. Unluckily, though, I was a long way off her at table, and as Mrs. Gorman, who was at the top of her form that night, I should soon forget to worry about who she might be. So he didn't get her name. Mrs. Gorman is one of the most amusing women I know, an outrageous but quite innocent flirt, with a very sprightly wit, which isn't always unkind. She can think of half a dozen moves ahead in a conversation just as an expert can in a game of chess. We were soon sparring, or rather, I was covering against the ropes, and I quite forgot to ask her in an undertone the name of the cold, proud beauty. The lady on the other side of me was a stranger, or had been until a few minutes since, and I didn't think of seeking information in that quarter. There were around a dozen of us, including the Sangstons themselves, and we were all young or trying to be. The Sangstons themselves were the oldest members of the party, and their son Reggie, in his last year at Marlborough, must have been the youngest. When there was talk of playing games after dinner, it was he who suggested Smee. He told us how to play it, just as I've described it to you. His father chipped in as soon as we all understood what was going to be required of us. If there are any games of that sort going on in this house, he said, for goodness sake, be careful on the back stairs on the first floor landing. There's a door to them and I've often meant to take it down. In the dark, anybody who doesn't know the house very well might think they were walking into a room. A girl actually did break her neck on those stairs about ten years ago when the Anstys lived here. I asked how it happened. Oh, said Sangston, there was a party here one Christmas time, and they were playing hide-and-seek just as you proposed to do. This girl was one of the hiders. She heard somebody coming, ran along the passage to get away, and opened the door of what she thought was a bedroom, evidently with the intention of hiding behind it while her pursuer went past. Unfortunately, it was the door leading to the back stairs. And that staircase is as straight and almost as steep as the shaft of a pit. She was dead when they picked her up. <sighs> we all promised for our own sakes to be careful. Mrs. Gorman said she was sure nothing could happen to her, since she was insured by three different newspapers, and her next of kin was a brother whose constant ill luck was a byword in the family. You see, none of us had known the unfortunate girl, and as the tragedy was ten years old, there was no need to pull long faces about it. Well, we started the game almost immediately after dinner. The men allowed themselves only five minutes before joining the ladies, and then young Reggie Sangston went round and assured himself that the lights were all out over the house except in the servants' quarters and in the drawing room where we were assembled. He then got busy with twelve sheets of paper, which he twisted into pellets, and shook up between his hands before passing them around. Eleven of them were blank, and Smee was written on the twelfth. The person drawing the latter was the one who had to hide. I looked and saw that mine was a blank. A moment later, out went the electric lights, and in the darkness, I heard somebody get up and creep to the door. After a minute or so, someone gave the signal, and we made a rush for the door. I, for one, hadn't the least idea which of the party was Smee. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down passages and in and out of rooms, challenging one another and answering, Smee? 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 
After a bit, the alarms and excursions died down and I guessed that Smee was found. Eventually, I found a chain of people all sitting still and holding their breath on some narrow stairs leading up to a row of attics. I hastily joined it, having challenged and been answered with silence, and presently two more stragglers arrived, each racing the other to avoid being last. Sangston was one of them. Indeed, it was he who was marked down for a forfeit. And after a little while, he said in an undertone, I think we are all here now, aren't we? He struck a match, looked up the shaft of the staircase and began to count. It wasn't hard, although we just about filled the staircase, for we were sitting each a step or two above the next, and all our heads were visible. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, he concluded and then laughed. Dash it all, that's one too many. The match had burnt out, and he struck another and began again to count. He got as far as twelve, then uttered an exclamation. There are thirteen people here, he exclaimed. Uh-uh. I haven't counted myself yet. Oh, nonsense, I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. Out came his son's electric torch, giving a brighter and steadier light, and we all began to count. Of course, we numbered twelve. What? Sangston laughed. Well, I could have sworn I counted thirteen twice. From halfway up the stairs came Violet Sangston's voice with a little nervous trill in it. I thought there was somebody sitting two steps above me. Have you moved up, Captain Ransom? Ransom said that he hadn't. He also said that he thought there was somebody sitting between Violet and himself. Weird. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A little cold ripple which touched us all. For that little moment, it seemed to all of us, I think, that something odd and unpleasant had happened and was liable to happen again. Then we laughed at ourselves and at one another and were comfortable once more. There were only twelve of us, and there could only have been twelve of us. There was no argument about it. Still laughing, we trooped back to the drawing room to begin again. This time I was Smee. Oh my god, why would you play again? This, this time I was Smee, and Violet Sangston ran me to Earth while I was still looking for a hiding place. That round didn't last long, and we were a chain of twelve within two or three minutes. Afterwards, there was a short interval. I guess they just all just laughed it off and thought they were being silly. Violet wanted a wrap fetched for her, and her husband went up to get it from her room. He was no sooner gone than Reggie pulled me by the sleeve. I saw that he was looking pale and sick. Uh-oh. Quick, he whispered. While father's out of the way, take me into the smoke room and give me a brandy or a whiskey or something. You know the sort of dose a fellow ought to have. Outside the room, I asked him what was the matter. But he didn't answer at first, and I thought it better to dose him and question him afterwards. So I mixed him a pretty dark complexion brandy and soda, which he drank at a gulp, and then began to puff as he had been running. As if he had been running. I've had a rather turn, he said to me with a sheepish grin. What's the matter? I don't know. You were Smee just now, weren't you? Well, of course I didn't know who Smee was, and while Mother and the others ran into the West Wing and found you, I turned east. There was a deep clothes cupboard in my bedroom. I'd marked it down as a good place to hide when it was my turn, and I had an idea that Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark, felt round, and touched somebody's hand. Smee, I whispered, and not getting an answer, I thought I had found Smee. Oh my god. Well, I didn't know how it was, but an odd, creepy feeling came over me. I can't describe it, but I felt that something was wrong. So I turned on my electric torch, and there was nobody there. Now I swear I touched a hand, and I was filling up the doorway of the cupboard at that time so nobody could get out past me. He puffed again. What do you make of it, he asked. You imagined that you touched a hand, I answered, naturally enough. He uttered a short laugh. <laughs> of course. I, I knew you were going to say that, he said. I, I must have imagined it, mustn't I? He paused and swallowed. I, I mean, it couldn't have been anything else but imagination, could it? 
I assured him that it could not, meaning what I said and he accepted this, but rather with the philosophy of one who knows he is right but doesn't expect to be, be believed. We returned together to the drawing room where, by that time, they were all waiting for us and ready to start again. It may have been my imagination, although I'm sure it wasn't, but it seemed to me that all enthusiasm for the game had suddenly melted like a white frost in a strong sunlight. If anybody had suggested another game, I'm sure we would have all been grateful and abandoned Smee. Yeah, man. Only nobody did. Nobody seemed to like to. I, for one, and I can speak for some of the others too, was oppressed with the feeling that there was something wrong. I couldn't have said what I thought it was. Indeed, I didn't think about it at all, but somehow all the sparkle had gone out of the fun, and hovering over my mind like a shadow was the warning of some sixth sense, which told me that there was an influence in the house which was neither sane nor healthy. Why did I feel like that? Because Sangston had counted 13 of us instead of 12, and his son had thought he had touched somebody in an empty cupboard. No, there was more in it than just that. One would have laughed at such things in the ordinary way, and it was just that feeling of something being wrong which stopped me from laughing. Well, we started again, and when we went in pursuit of the unknown Smee, we were as noisy as ever. But it seemed to me that most of us were acting. Frankly, for no reason other than the one I've given you, we'd stopped enjoying the game. I had an instinct to hunt with the main pack, but after a few minutes, during which no Smee had been found, my instinct to play winning games and be first if possible set me searching on my own account. Dude, no! And on the first floor of the West Wing, following the wall, which was actually the shell of the house, I blundered against a pair of human knees. I put out my hand and touched a soft, heavy curtain. Then I knew where I was. There were tall, deeply recessed windows with seats along the landing and curtains over the recesses to the ground. Somebody was sitting in the corner of this window seat behind the curtain. Aha! I had caught Smee. Oh, man. So, so I drew the curtain aside, stepped in and touched the bare arm of a woman. It was a dark night outside, and moreover, the window was not only curtained, but a blind hung down to where the bottom panes joined up with the frame. Between the curtain and the window, it was as dark as the plague of Egypt. I could not have seen my hand held six inches before my face, much less the woman sitting in the corner. Smee, I whispered. I had no answer. Smee. When challenged, does not answer. So I sat down beside her, first in the field to await the others. Oh, God. Then, having settled myself, I leaned over to her and whispered, Who is it? What's your name? Smee. And out of the darkness beside me, the whisker came back. Brenda Ford. I didn't know the name, but because I didn't know it, I guessed at once who it was. The tall, pale, dark girl was the only person in the house I didn't know by name. Oh, my God. Ergo, my companion was the tall, pale, dark girl. Uh-uh. I rather, it seemed rather intriguing to be there with her, shut in between a heavy curtain and a window, and I rather wondered whether she was enjoying the game we were all playing. Somehow, she hadn't seemed to me to be one of the romping sort. I muttered one or two commonplace questions to her and had no answer. Smee is a game of silence. Smee and the person or persons who have found Smee are supposed to keep quiet to make it hard for the others. But there was nobody else about, and it occurred to me that she was playing the game a little too much to the letter. I spoke again and got no answer, and then I began to be annoyed. She was of that cold, superior type, which affects to despise men. She didn't like me, and she was sheltering behind the rules of a game for children to be discourteous. Well, if she didn't like me sitting there with me, I certainly didn't want to be sitting there with her. I half turned from her and began to hope that we should both be discovered without much more delay. Having discovered that I didn't like being there alone with her, it was queer how soon I found myself hating it, and that for a reason very different from the one which had at first weddled my annoyance. 
or whetted my annoyance. The girl I had met for the first time before dinner and had seen diagonally across the table had a sort of cold charm about her, which had attracted while it had half-angered me. For the girl who was with me, imprisoned in the opaque darkness between the curtain and the window, I felt no attraction at all. It was so very much the reverse that I should have wondered at myself if, after the first shock of the discovery that she had suddenly become repellent to me, I had no room in my mind for anything besides the consciousness that her close presence was an increasing horror to me. It came upon me just as quickly as I've uttered the words. My flesh suddenly shrank from her as you see a strip of gelatin shrink and wither before the heat of a fire. That feeling of something being wrong had come back to me, but multiplied to an extent which turned foreboding into actual terror. Oh, dude, get out. I firmly believe that I should have got up and run if I had not felt at that first moment that she would have divined my intention and compelled me to stay by some means of which I could not bear to think. The memory of having touched her bare arm made me wince and drawn my lips. I prayed that somebody else would come along soon. Uh-uh, no one's coming. My prayer was answered. Light footfalls sounded on the landing. Somebody on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain was drawn aside and a woman's hand, fumbling in the darkness, presently rested on my shoulder. Smee? whispered a voice which I instantly recognized as Mrs. Gorman's. Of course, she received no answer. She came and settled down beside me with a rustle and I can't describe the sense of relief she brought me. It's Tony, isn't it? She whispered. Yes, I whispered back. You're not Smee, are you? No, she's on my other side. She reached a hand across me, and I heard one of her nails scratch the surface of a woman's gown. Hello, Smee. How are you? Who are you? Oh, it is against the rules to talk. Never mind. Tony, we'll break the rules. Do you know, Tony, this game is beginning to irk me a little. I hope they're not going to run it to death by playing it all evening. I'd like to play some game where we can all be together in the same room with a nice bright fire. Same here, I agreed. Can you suggest something when we go down? There's something rather uncanny in this particular amusement. I can't quite shed the delusion that there's somebody in this game who oughtn't be here at all. Oh, God. This was just how I'd been feeling, but I didn't say so. But for my part, the worst of my qualms were now gone. The arrival of Mrs. Gorman had dissipated them. We sat on, talking, wondering from time to time when the rest of the party would arrive. I don't know how long elapsed before we heard a clatter of feet on the landing and young Reggie's voice shouting, Hello? Hello there? Anybody there? Yes, I answered. Mrs. Gorman with you? Yes. Well, you're a nice pair. You're both forfeited. We've been waiting for you for hours. What? Why, you haven't found Smee yet, I objected. You haven't, you mean. I happen to have been Smee myself. But Smee's here with us, I cried. Yes, agreed Mrs. Gorman. The curtain was stripped aside, and in a moment we were blinking into the eye of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Mrs. Gorman and then on my other side. Between me and the wall, there was an empty space on the window seat. I stood up at once and wished I hadn't, for I found myself sick and dizzy. There was somebody there, I maintained, because oh I touched her. Oh so God. did I, said Mrs. Gorman in a voice which had lost its steadiness. And, and I don't see how she could have got up and gone without her knowing it. Reggie uttered a queer, shaken laugh. He, too, had an unpleasant experience that evening. Somebody's been playing the goat, he remarked. Coming down? We were not very popular when we arrived in the drawing room. Reggie rather tactlessly gave it out what we had found sitting on the window seat beside the curtain. I taxed the tall, dark girl with having pretended to be Smee and afterwards slipping away. She denied it. After which we settled down and played other games. Smee was done with the evening, and I was glad to be done of it. Some long while later, during an interval, Sangston told me if I wanted a drink to go into the smoke room and help myself. I went and he presently followed me. I could see that he was rather peeved with me and the reason came out during the following minute. 
It seemed that in his opinion, if I must sit out and flirt with Mrs. Gorman in circumstances which would have been considered highly compromising in his young days, I didn't need to do it during a round of game and keep everybody else waiting for us. Oh my God, that's not what happened. But there was somebody else there, I protested. Somebody pretending to be Smee. I believe it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. Although she denied it, she even whispered her name to me. Sankson stared at me and nearly dropped his glass. Miss who? He said. Brenda Ford. She told me what her name was. Sankson put down his glass and laid a hand on his shoulder. Look here, old man, he said. I don't mind a joke, but don't let it go too far. We don't want all the women in the house getting hysterical. Brenda Ford, he said, is the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs playing hide-and-seek ten years ago. No! The end. I mean, I kind of assumed. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a good spooky story, I think. And, you know, it's funny in, like, the kind of reviews. I mean, it's told a long time ago. Yeah. It's one of those stories where it's like all the information is given to you at the beginning, and, mm-hmm. you, and you know what's coming, uh-huh. but it's still spooky. So spooky. Yeah, it still gives me uh, still gives me goosebumps here and there. I really, I really, But I just love that, that that is the kind of story that people, you know, 100, 150 years ago, especially in England, I just yeah. love these Victorian houses. They would just, you know, have a dinner, uh, you know, dinner party, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have people come over for Christmas Eve and part of the evening, you know, they're having their brandy and their drinks yeah. with somebody telling a story exactly like that and just trying to scare the other guests. When I was a kid, we would, um, we were super broke. We couldn't go okay. on like real vacations. Uh, I mean, we couldn't afford to like get on a plane and go somewhere, sure, right? Sure, And my mom worked for a dentist and he owned a house in Nantucket. And so we would like pile into the car and drive the 13 hours up there, wow. right? It was like nothing glamorous about it. But as you were telling this story, I was thinking of this house because it was like this huge house or I don't even know if it was huge, but it felt so sure, big to me as a huge. child. Yeah. And um, it was on the water and it had those old crystal doorknobs. And there oh, were yeah, like, I can picture that. Mm-hmm, and there was like the main staircase. And there was also like a little like back staircase. And there was this spooky. like, yeah, but it wasn't spooky to me as a kid. Like the house must okay. have had good energy. But mm-hmm. like the whole time that we are doing this story. I was like, oh my, because it's an old New England house. Like it had all the yeah. right things. And I was like, oh my God, that shit could really like, somebody really could have gotten hurt in this house because there was like a, yeah. a, a pantry cellar thing that was like old. Right. And, yeah. I, think, I think about, well, you've, uh, Grandma Betty and Grandpa Ward's cellar. Yeah, that was the other thing that too. That staircase, like so steep where it's like, if you if you rushed in there, oh, you could for sure break your neck. I don't, I don't even know why. I, I don't think your grandparents should be going down there They should anymore. not. It, it upsets everybody else in the family. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> no, uh, no. But yeah, that story was quite creepy. And I, I actually had, I think, the least amount of interjections because it was so hard to follow, I think, with like the old timey. yes. And sorry for any, uh, any like, you know, if I stuttered a little bit reading here and there, but the verbiage did every once in a while, I'm like, wait, what? Right. Yeah, it's it's not a natural, it's not a, you know, modern sentence structure. Sure, sure. So it was a little well, challenging. But. I was pretty focused. I was okay. like, okay, I've got to really hear what he's saying. Uh, and just a couple pictures we have from that if you want oh, to yeah, see him. Yeah. Just, just, uh, just uh, the, the face to the name, that's A.M. Burridge. Okay, okay, that's the author. Yeah, he, he became, uh, you know, known for ghost stories in like the 30s and, and then really kind of, he, he died in the 50s, okay. um, 1956 actually, Born in 18, 1889, but didn't really um, kind of faded in popularity after a few kind of collections of ghost stories. Did you just see me whack my face on the microphone? No, I missed that. Did you bop <laughs> yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. And then this next one is a little illustration uh, that goes along with this story on a few different websites. Okay. Okay. That's, so that's cool. Yeah. That's kind of how they would accompany these stories in books, you know, back at that time. Um, obviously not uh, really very many photos in the books, but they'd sure. put in these kind of illustrations. And this next one is a... Uh, 
uh, an older photo. This is like a Victorian area. I'm getting goes so forward. nervous. I'm, always, I'm nervous for you to like pull yeah. one over on me. Now, this is just, you know, the when people's spiritualism oh, was yeah. a big movement and you they would can, have. You can see like that ghost lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, this is like, you know, the, the equivalent of, uh, I mean, they didn't have crazy horror movies or anything, but they have spooky pictures like that in, in collections of ghost stories. Right, right. And that's is, out in the Victorian area. Yeah, that's it. Obviously before, that's 19, it ended in 1901. So it's a little older, but. I'm just realizing in the dark, it's quite hard to see my little hat. Oh yeah, your little Christmas hat. Where's your hat? It's, I, my little Christmas hat. I think you, it's on, there. It's, I think you should lean into the light a little bit so everyone can is. see how stupid we look. There's my little Christmas hat. <laughs> Okay. So have you seen anything sparkly? Okay. So like I was a little bit confused about how the game works. So I think I understand yeah. it now after really listening to it. So you'd have twelve people. Mm-hmm. Or however many. Right. It seemed yeah. like twelve was yeah, in the story. story, right? Yeah. Okay. And so eleven blank pieces of paper, right. one with SME on it. Yep. And then Everyone would get their piece of paper, read it, and then the lights would be turned out. The final light would be turned out. Yeah, then and the lights one person mm-hmm. would leave the room. And then they yeah. would wait a few minutes. One person would leave the room. And then, right, it was like in a very hide-and-go-seek, like they would go hide. Yeah. And then everybody else, the remaining 11, would seek out that other person. Mm-hmm. And then if you found the person, I'd be like, Smee, and they don't say anything back, then I would just sit there and wait for the other people to come. Yep, exactly. Okay. And, and, then, and then what was with the chain of people? I, I didn't oh, quite... Oh, just like uh, sitting next to each other. Like like a, like a row. Okay, okay. Yeah. You're just supposed to be... They're supposed to be all sitting next to each other, like very close. And then, yeah. Okay. And, then, and then when you come and you find the, the chain, you know, the group of people sitting, you know, in a row. Yeah. They're all supposed to be quiet. When you ask, like, you know, SME, like the whole row then is quiet. Oh, okay. That's what yeah. confused me because it was like... Okay. So, so once, SME kind of spreads. He didn't really explain that, but I read it a few times and yeah. So once you find the SME, mm-hmm. now you're quiet along yep. with the SME. You're sitting there in, in, in quiet. Yeah. Okay. That was a little bit confusing to me, but I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, also, I thought, so when uh, Flirty, Flirty McGee, whatever her name was. Oh, yeah. Too many names. The Flirty, uh, oh, yeah, Mrs. Gorman. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt like I could be Mrs. Gorman. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Friendly flirt. flirt. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay. When Mrs. Gorman found the dude. Yep. Uh Whatever his name was. I'm sorry. The names. It was too many names. I could yeah, not keep yeah. up. The, the, but when she finds him and they're in that little like. Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they're in the window seat. Uh, and then at the end when the the host says like, oh, we found you. He said they'd been there for hours. Right. That really like that Ugh. little detail really got me because neither one of them in this story is complaining uh, like, oh, we were there for a really long time or we were waiting and time waiting. got weird. Time got weird because think about it. If you're playing hide and go seek, after like 15, 20 minutes, you're like, I'm trying not to swear if we're going to have kids. Uh, listen to this one. We're not. I, don't, I mean, who knows? You say, say whatever you want. I don't know. Uh, but, they you're can like, handle it. but you're like, screw this. Like, I'm out of here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So clearly something Someone weird on. happened with time. Mm hmm. Because hours. Hours. Creepy. Did that one get you when you were. Prepping the story, um, a little bit. I mean, I will say, you know, that that's the first one we've done on this show that it, it, it was written as fiction, so it's a spooky story. I didn't want to say that up front to like you know oh. pull from it, but it's like you know it's like it, the tradition, like Dickens, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm, writing mm-hmm. stories. But even knowing that, your imagination gets going, yeah. And the thought of that happening, you know, combined with all the stories we've talked about here, yeah, it still spooked me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers a candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? 
I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This, this next another ghost story. Is it also very long? No, it's not as long. Okay. And, and it's set in the Christmassy time. Okay. And this one is purported to be true. Okay. So okay. yeah. So yeah. But, but I, I wanted to find a couple Christmassy backdrops yeah, no, I, for it. I like that. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So you ready? I am ready. Time now for today's second tale 
the walls are singing. John's daughter Lisa pointed it out when he and his wife were sitting in the living room. They were watching a Christmas special on TV when Lisa was busy entertaining herself with her Rubik's Cube. Snowflakes were falling outside as promised by the weather forecaster. It was a great day to stay indoors where it was nice and toasty. Lisa suddenly said, Dad, the walls are singing. John's attention briefly shifted towards her, but he was still focused on the TV. What was that again, honey? The walls are singing. They are, he asked, grabbing the remote on the table. John lowered the volume and strained his ears to listen, and sure enough, he could hear the faintest tune of a song he could not recognize emanating from within the wall directly next to Lisa. Uh. The abrupt sounds resembled someone softly playing handbells, each ring a gentle jingle that passed through the wall. John stood up and asked his daughter to back away from the wall, worried about what could be making the sound. He alerted his wife, Sherry, who immediately came into the room from the kitchen. He pointed towards the wall and asked her to listen. She was just as confused as they were. Weird. Hold on to Lisa, John uh, told Sherry as he ran to grab a toolbox from the garage. He came back clutching a hammer, the knuckles on his fingers turning white and brimming with sweat. The strange music coming from inside the wall was bothering him. What could be making those sounds? Mm-hmm. As he got closer to the wall, the music got louder and the melody of the ringing changed. John crept up against the wall and held one of his ears to the smooth surface. His skin made contact with the cold paint, and then his ear suddenly felt a wave of warmth come over it once he was directly on top of the music. Creepy. He could feel the vibration of the bells coming from behind the wall. Oh my god, no way. Not knowing what was making the noise was driving John crazy. How could bells be playing inside the wall? He backed up a bit and swung his hammer into the sheetrock hard enough to punch several holes into the wall that he was able to turn into one bigger hole when he pulled out several white chalky chunks of drywall. The melody had now stopped. Using his cell phone as a flashlight, John peered inside the wall, finding only insulation, some wiring, and 2 by 4 bracing. Oh, God. While confused, he also felt relieved. He wasn't sure what he thought might be making that noise, but he knew he actually didn't want to see it. To be thorough, he made a few more holes, took out some insulation. Of course he did. Eventually called it quits after about two hours. No one was hearing any more music, and neither he nor his wife, Sherry, wanted to have to pay to have an entire wall patched up. That night... The music started up again. The sound of bells once more coming from within the wall. Only now it wasn't just the one wall. It was all the walls. They all heard it. John, his wife, Sherry, his daughter, Lisa. The bells rang from within the walls every night for several nights in a row. Each night, they'd come from a different location in the house and then just move around. Oh, my God. They always started ringing really loudly, really clearly at midnight. John and Sherry had no idea what to do to get rid of the noise. Neither were religious, and it seemed like a bit much to talk to a priest about the ringing. No one's head was spinning around. No one speaking was speaking in a deep, raspy voice about the devil or anything. No one felt threatened. It was just odd, maddening, not to be able to understand what was causing the noise. John and Sherry were reluctant to ask their neighbors if they also heard anything. <laughs> they were new to the neighborhood and didn't want to quickly become known as the neighborhood crazies. Totally. John did have the gas company come out and make sure they weren't all hallucinating thanks to some slow gas leak. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nothing. Everything was normal. And, of course, when the technician came by, the walls were quiet. Of course. Then, after a few days, the family got used to the noises. How do you get used to that? Also, after a while, they seemed to kind of enjoy them. Oh, dear. They weren't uh, weren't sure any longer that they wanted to get rid of the noise. The songs were serene. Uh Uh-uh. Like slow lullabies. Uh Uh-uh. None of the melodies seemed familiar, but they were comforting somehow, as if they were old, familiar nursery rhyme type songs. Nope, nope, nope. 
After about two weeks of this, John started to fall into almost a trance of sorts when he heard the music. Mm. Vividly picturing lifelike memories that were suddenly floating into his mind unconsciously, except they weren't his memories. Oh my god. One time he briefly saw himself standing in what appeared to be a small well-lit shop. The vivid aroma of cinnamon hit him first before the sweet smells of hard candy and steaming hot chocolate. He saw a pointy green Christmas tree in a corner of the shop, decorated with multi-tinted ornaments, red and blue candy canes, and a colored star topper that sent wisps of light dancing across the ceiling. Toys of all shapes and sizes lined the walls along the shelves. Above the toys were a row of bells. Each one of them looked unique with distinct patterns etched into them. They all rung in unison, playing the same familiar songs he'd been hearing from the walls on repeat. Oh, shit. John was suddenly experiencing visions like this so often that they became ingrained in his mind, almost as if they were his own memories. But they're not. His wife and daughter were also getting more entranced by the bells. He'd hear Lisa humming the tunes off and on throughout the day or while she lied in bed at night. Get out of this house. The noise of the bells had become a routine part of their lives. Oh my god. They weren't afraid of them. They weren't concerned by them. They were still, of course, curious about the song's origins. And then after about another week, they finally understood the true source of the noise. Late at night, asleep in his bed, John woke up to the sound of a sharp thud in the middle of the night. The thud was soon followed by the distinct sound of footsteps and someone or something shuffling around downstairs. Oh god. At first, John assumed it was his wife, Sherry, since it wasn't uncommon for her to wake up and head downstairs in the night to go grab a glass of water. When John rolled over and saw his wife sleeping soundly next to him, his heart began to race. He was suddenly very afraid. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he heard more footsteps. Whatever or whoever was down there had reached somewhere near the bottom of the stairwell. That's when John quietly crept out of bed and headed towards his door. He had to find his daughter. He knew Lisa wasn't the one making the noise because she always came to his and his wife's room if she needed to go downstairs. Something else was in his house. And it was about to head upstairs toward T and his wife's room and towards their daughter's room. John gently woke up his wife as he heard squeaks echo from outside his door. It was coming up the stairs. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. He told Sherry to dial 911 as he frantically looked around the room for something to use as a weapon. Nothing. John's hand started to shake. He grabbed a metal ruler lying on his desk. Not much, but it was the best thing he could find in a hurry. And he mentally prepared himself to rush out into the hallway. And, well, that was about as far as his plan went. Dumb plan. So dumb. Just a split second before he burst into the hallway, as his hand grabbed the doorknob, the bells started ringing. Oh, God. But it wasn't the faint jingles he and his family had been hearing. It was very different this time. The noise didn't come from one area. It came from all over the house, and it was louder, much louder than ever. John dropped to his knees and covered his ears. Not only could he hear the bells, he could feel them. The whole house was shaking, like it would with an earthquake. Still worried about who or what was in the house, John got up and opened the door, hating to take his hand off of his ear. It felt like his eardrums would burst. When he stepped out into the hallway, he watched the door to his daughter's room open, and then (gasps) Lisa burst out into the hallway, hysterically upset. Oh my god. The noise began to subside then as John hugged Lisa and pushed her towards his daughter, or towards his wife. He still needed to check the house for an intruder. John's ears still ringing as the deafening noise of the bells continued to subside. John walked out into the hallway holding his metal ruler. He turned on the lights, checked every other door. Slowly, he descended the stairwell and stood on the landing. Peering into the living room, he noticed that the door was cracked open to his house. Oh, God. Several household items had been turned over in a frenzy. What? Thankfully, John saw no one that night. Police officers arrived a few minutes later and John and Jerry told them what they'd heard, except for the bells. 
After a thorough investigation was conducted, the officers stationed patrols in the neighborhood and told John and Sherry to board up their back door. It had been busted open in a break-in. Oh. Boarded up as best they could. John and his family never heard the bells again. Two weeks after the break-in, the police arrested the intruder. Oh. The man who police believe had broken into their home had committed a homicide where two innocent victims were violently murdered during an attempted apartment robbery just a few nights later in the same neighborhood. Holy crap. John and Sherry wondered how the night of their break-in would have played out if it wasn't for the bells clearly scaring this person off. A few oh days later, Lisa asked her father oh why God. the walls were no longer singing, saying, I miss them, Daddy. John told her he didn't know, and as much as he tried to deny it, he missed them too. A few days later, there was a knock at the front door, and when John answered it, he was greeted by the sight of a young, unfamiliar man standing on the porch, holding a stack of cards in his hand. Hello, I'm David. Oh my god, I have chills everywhere. Hello, I'm David, he said as he handed John one of the cards. This is an invitation to our annual gathering for Mr. Anderson's memorial. It will take place at the end of the week. All the info is on the card. Oh my god. John studied the card. There was a photo of an older gentleman printed on the front side. He wore circular glasses, a soft smile, and a neatly trimmed gray beard. He had no idea who Mr. Anderson was. David pointed his finger at the picture. That's Mr. Anderson, best person I've ever met in my entire life. Practically everyone in this town knows him. Growing up, I used to go to his little shop every day with all the other kids. He loved children. His shop had everything you could dream of. Toys, candy, decorations for each holiday. If there was something you liked, he could make it for you. Mr. Anderson could do anything. The man made us believe in ourselves. Where's his shop at, John asked. And David's answer gave John the chills. His shop used to be right here, where your house is right now. I'm pretty sure the Builders Association took up the property and reallocated it for residential homes. My God. I just wish I could visit it one more time just to hear the bells. Oh, my God. What bells, John asked. Mr. Anderson's bells. He had them lined up all around his shop. They played all these cool tunes, melodies I only heard in his store. I think he made them up. The bells were my favorite part of the shop. A shiver went down John's spine. His mouth hung open. He couldn't believe it. What happened to Mr. Anderson, he asked. David paused. Old age got the better of him. His heart gave out while he was asleep. It happened many years ago now, but we still think about him. Especially after what happened during the week he passed away. What happened? What happened, John asked. Some of the townspeople claimed they could hear bells ringing the night of Mr. Anderson's funeral. Stop. No one could pinpoint the source. It seemed to be echoing all around the block. And the bells were playing Mr. Anderson's favorite tunes, the same beautiful melodies we used to hear in his little toy shop. And then David hummed one of those tunes, and it was the exact same melody that John had heard many times coming from within the walls of his home, coming from Mr. Anderson's old toy shop. Holy cow. The end. Eek. He saved him. He saved them, but also that was scary. I know. I can't believe that there was an actual robber. I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. that twist. I know. That's what I liked about like the, that that story. It kind of mirrored the first story a little bit with a little like twist, not as obvious. <sighs> and uh, another I had just so Christmas many one. chills. So many chills. Yeah, had some spooky parts for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now. Okay, earlier in the show, you asked about something. There is no pictures that go along with that story. That was like an online forum. You know, just somebody saying this happened. So, you know, there's, uh, I can't find any pictures of anything that okay. relates to that story. Okay. So I decided to show this. Uh, you asked about Krampus. Oh, okay. I feel like, you know, I didn't have a Krampus story because it's not really, it's like folklore. 
Sure. I mean, we could have, I guess, but uh, but but just, it would have been a, a big stretch. I feel like. I, I, yeah, and so just uh, you know, for um, Krampus fans, I mean, Krampus. This fo- in Central European folklore, Krampus is a horned half goat, half demon who punishes kids. This is so crazy to me. This was a story parents would tell their kids a uh, hundred years ago. Yeah, in places like Austria, people were telling their kids about this half demon, half goat, uh, who was like a kind of like the Robin to Saint Nicholas's Batman. They would would work as a team. St. Nicholas would bring the kids presents if they were good. And if they were bad, Krampus would fuck them up. So, (laughs) yeah, Krampus. Let's get this next picture. There's another Krampus picture. I'm just going to give you a little more details before Krampus questions. Okay. He would often carry chains or birch branches or a whip. Yeah. And he would use that to beat the kids. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is even crazier. He He has that sack on his back. Uh, sometimes you would carry a basket. You know, the folklore would change as time would go on. <laughs> and if kids were naughty, he would throw them into a sack, and he would either throw the sack in a lake or river and drown them, or he would eat them, <laughs> or he would take them straight to hell. Awesome. Those are three really great choices. Really great options. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then there's another picture of Krampus. This next picture shows his long tongue. And his long tongue, he got the chains there, some kid he has by the ears. <laughs> Yep, and he would, um, you know, eat the kids. I think in that picture, yeah, he often had like one hoof, one foot, kind of a distinctive Krampus feature there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> and then this last one, this last one is um, of the Krampus here. This is a card that people would like send around the holidays of this demon. Just, Stop it. Just fucking up some kids. So weird. But they would like, that was a holiday thing. We're leading up to holidays because Krampus would actually come around the 5th is when he could come to start getting you. Well, sure. St. Nicholas Day is the 6th of right. December. So the right, yeah, the 5th and the 6th were like St. Nick and Krampus. Okay. And yeah, so people would tell their kids like throughout the year, like be good or Krampus is going to drown you in a river or take you to hell. You will die. Ugh. I mean, it's kind of genius though, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. And I guess to keep kids behaved. And yeah. I, and after all that, I want to end it's, it's the holidays, a little nice picture of Santa. So we have just a Santa Claus there. It's a regular old, not creepy at all Santa. <laughs> oh, my God. Where in the world is that picture from? I do not know. That but, is so uncomfortable. But I would not let one of the kids sit on that Santa's lap. Dude, that is so creepy. So creepy. It almost looks like a porcelain doll. Yes. I don't like it. (laughs) Last year, Kyler got really into, our son Kyler got really into on like weird Christmas things. I'll have to post it on my social media, like a link to this um, like YouTube song video. We would listen to it in the car. It has the weirdest like tradition-y things like this weird creature kind of like Krampus will come and eat yeah. you this one comes and specifically like takes your eggs or like okay, I don't know there okay. were just all these super weird things I wish I would have listened to it uh, right before this episode Kyler just resent oh, yeah, it to me because yeah. we just him and I laughed so hard about like what a weird Cute. series of creatures and like right. what they were into I want to say like one ate nothing but cotton I don't I can't remember all the details so bizarre. Oh, is, is it based on reality? Like a bunch of old Christmas folklore? Folklore, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, there's other countries that have their versions of Krampus or other monsters that would just jack you up around the holidays. Do you want to hold on to a crystal? Nope. Do you guys want to know something really fun that happened in our house yet this weekend? Oh, God. I went to the crystal store and I bought like $100 worth of crystals and Dan's not having it. Like, he's so not having it, we might have gotten in a little tiff last night. Because. I thought, I know, you were joking and joking and joking about the crystals. Because I just, I love to poke you. I know, but then sometimes I don't know when you're serious or joking, and you were trying to, I thought you were trying to push your crystal stuff on me. (laughs) 
And I was joking about it for a while, and you wouldn't let up. And then eventually, I did kind of snap, and I'm like, I'm not fucking getting the crystals. I'm not wearing the crystal necklaces. I'm not doing the crystal stuff. I'm gonna make fun of you for your weird crystal shit. And I snapped a little bit. There was a lot of threats of like, fine, you can be the crystal lady, and I'll be the tattoo guy. I'm gonna get fucking tattoos on my neck because mm-hmm. that's like a thing that I don't want him to do. And yeah, I I got a lot of crystals, and they all come with these little information cards. And I was reading the cards to Dan, and as soon as I got to one that like mentioned. Uh, like other realms and like uh-huh. balancing your spirit. That's magical, it. Magical abilities. And then you were teasing me. <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah. I, I said one had magic abilities and the Dan asked if I could do any fancy card tricks. <laughs> that was his version of magic. <laughs> like as if these crystals were going to give you the power to do a card trick. I know. I was, jo- I was joking with the card trick, but some people do take it so far. And you were making fun of me because how could you be open to the possibility of ghosts, demons, that kind of stuff, but not be open to the power of crystals? Right. To me, it's all in the same world of nope. things. Nope. To me, like saying that you're open to like one otherworldly thing, in my mind, it doesn't make me open to everything. It's like you're I, have, I, have, I have my own limits. And and here's the thing about the crystals because they it's the way they market them. It's like it's like a piece of amethyst or something. And it'll and it'll say you were reading them last night. It'll talk about like amethyst? this helps you travel through realms <coughs> and helps improve your magical abilities. And so that's when I was saying that you needed to get like another crystal. That, that could, was labradite. That could slow you down so you don't like hurt yourself traveling so fast through your realms. <laughs> and and then when you talk about magical abilities, I'm like, yeah, show me some card tricks or levitate or some shit. Yeah. I just yeah. like that they market it that way where it's like, hey, get this crystal and it'll improve your magic. Get the fuck get out of here. I think because you have never had. I don't know. I think we've talked about this. Well, you did have some weird, like, um, spirit ghost experience, right? Yeah, yeah the rainbow when you were room. Younger. And then the, and when I was younger, yeah. maybe a tiny bit, but I may have been a Halloween mask in my mind. But yes, in the rainbow room, I had that one thing with the faucet, but I haven't, I haven't, like, seen an entity. Mm-hmm. I haven't had, like, an over the top, like, what? Right. Most like, pe- send me running out of the house kind of thing. Right. Mo- I, I don't really know anybody. I mean, we get these stories, but I yeah. don't know anybody who has seen something like an actual apparition. Th- that's the perfect word. Yes. I know people who have felt things who like maybe saw something out of the corner of their eye. Yeah. I don't know if it was being born and raised Roman Catholic that it really like feels very possible to me, which is yeah. why like this show is often difficult for me because I'm like, right. Fudge. And I'm open to it. I'm open. To this stuff, this show is all these stories are making me like less skeptical right i'm i'm open to it but then but i am such a skeptical person i'm not willing to open up the floodgates mm-hmm. and wear like a crystal spirit crown or whatever you mean like like your pendulum you're this is this isn't this is an amulet to keep me safe and this is cool sage to keep me safe okay i i think that we're having like opposite reactions to this show i'm now like well okay so when i was at the crystal shop i was very careful about the crystals that i picked like i read the little cards and i didn't want anything that increased your psychic abilities or that was like about tapping into that because to me i was like okay no all i want is things that'll keep me grounded keep me like light and positive i'm in therapy dealing with some stuff so i was like okay i want things to like let go of past things and Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, even if we never really go super far down that path, I do think that sometimes these things are a medium to help you cope with other things. Okay. that's I mean, that's basically how I feel about religion as well. And that's not to like be offensive to anybody who's a hardcore believer. I believe that everyone has the right to believe what they want, right? Uh You are entitled to your own opinions, thoughts, beliefs. But oftentimes I think that religion 
is the thing that you gravitate to to help you get through something, right? Most people turn towards religion during a really difficult time, whether it be like death or divorce or, you know, like your finances, whatever. But it's like you turn to religion as a a coping mechanism to help you, right? So what's the difference if I started going to church or if I just start like holding on to some crystals if it helps me cope and keeps me sane? Oh, yeah. I I tease you. I don't care if uh, you do that stuff. Last night, I kind of snapped. I just don't want... I'm just not going to do it with you. That's right. all. But and, and, I, and, I I would have, and I would have the same reaction if somebody pushed really hard uh, with religion, like you just brought right. up. If someone's like, "Come on, just go with me. Just come on, just go." At, at, at a point, I'm like, "Dude, not my thing. Mm-hmm. Back off." But I am yeah. going to have crystals in every room in our house. Okay, not on my side of the bedroom. <laughs> But everywhere else, like oh, on God. the mantle. Mm. But did you know some of these oh, crystals God. can be so expensive? There were crystals I was looking at. They're like three hundred dollars. Wow. Well, I, if you, I don't want a crystal, but if you could have like a demon power wizard scepter, if one of those <laughs> pops up for sale, I do want that. You're such an asshole. I want it. I want to have demon power. Whatever. Get out of here. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Do you have your squishy? I have my squishy. I don't have a demon power scepter. Hey, how come that candle's out? I lit it. I, I see it. It's barely lit. Okay. I didn't want the Virgin of Guadalupe to not be with us. Okay. 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 So in light of it being Hanukkah, I thought it was a great time to use this story from one of our listeners in Austria. Okay. So thanks for tuning in. Friend from Austria, whose name it will be left out of the story. Okay. Uh, and they write... I'm writing to you from Austria. Since my work hours would be unfair to pets, I love to pet sit for my friends. My best friend has three dogs and two cats, and so I move into her apartment anytime she goes out of town. She lives on the top floor of a building that was bombed in World War II wow. and was then rebuilt and renovated. Now, we got bombed pretty hard in Vienna, and I always suspected that the historic Vienna Opera House was bombed accidentally by an allied pilot whose wife was always forcing him to do highbrow cultural shit. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> Is that okay, funny? That's yeah, funny? Yeah, I, I love the opening to this. Anyways, her bedroom has always been super cold, much colder than any room in the place, even though it has the exact same heating system throughout. The animals also never went into her bedroom unless she went in first. When she bought the place, the property owner told her that during the Nazi occupation, an elderly Jewish couple had been kept hidden in the empty attic space known as an U-boot, as we call people who were kept safe by friends, neighbors, and local resistance. Wow. Now, if you've ever read the diary of Anne Frank, it's easy to imagine the constant fear that they must have experienced cooped up in there trying to be completely silent. Sadly, they died in 1944 in a 1944 bombing along with all the other residents. My best friend is from the Scottish Highlands originally and has always been witchy. So she claimed the cold spot was caused by the hidden couple whose spirits were literally paralyzed by fear. She saged regularly, but that didn't seem to help. And she knew better than to try with Ouija boards. So don't worry about that. One night last year, I was pet sitting again and woke up around 3 a.m. absolutely freezing. Goosebumps head to toe, even though I was covered in a duvet and by all the dogs and cats in the bed. I'm not sensitive like my friend is, but I figured something was up. The animals were completely quiet. No snuffles, no snores, no kicking legs like they usually have. Mm -hmm. There was this indescribably deep sense of dread and sadness and fear hanging in the air all around us, like centimeters away. 
And it wasn't just the temperature either. The air felt like there was pressure. It, it felt like the moment before a huge thunderstorm. So I decided to help the ghost as best I could and said very loudly, It is safe to come out now. You are free. The war is over. The wow. Allies came. The Nazis were beaten. And all prisoners have been liberated. Austria is an independent country. We have Jewish schools and synagogues and kosher shops in Vienna. And everyone is free. You can go anywhere you like, or you can stay, whatever you want. I said something like that in German, and then in English, and then in really bad grammar school French, just in case they thought it was the Gestapo in some sort of trap or something. And then I fell back asleep immediately, which was super weird because it always takes me ages to fall asleep, no matter how tired I am. And that night I had basically backed out. I had blacked out without any weed or alcohol. <laughs> Ever since that night, my friend says that the temperature doesn't fluctuate anymore, and the animals now spend time in the bedroom even without a human in there. So I guess it worked? I hope so. I almost prefer the thought of a Nazi soul trapped for eternity than souls of their victims who deserve to be free, though I mm -hmm. hope I never meet a Nazi ghost, to be honest. Ugh. I also hope this story isn't disrespectful to the people of the Jewish faith, because I don't know anything about their belief in the afterlife. I'm an agnostic, so always interested, but still ignorant, and please excuse. Okay. That's a great, yeah, man, that's... It was that's, heavy, but, like, also, yeah. like, really? That's, that's crazy. Plausible? Feels very plausible. Yeah, that's, see, that's the kind of stuff that makes me less skeptical, where it's, like, so weird, where, like, you know, cold space, cold space, cold space, like, just the feeling of something, and then a night like that, and then it just goes away for everybody? Mm-hmm. That's super weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how sad. I if know. like if like uh, if that is a thing, if that's real, these mm -hmm. spirits can like get stuck because mm -hmm. they just are confused in the next little spot. Yeah, still yeah. hiding. That's so extra sad. I know, but then it seems like they're free. Oh. right. So hope they're having some matzo ball go soup. <laughs> I do love matzo ball soup. Mm -hmm. Oh, I saw on Instagram yesterday my best friend who is Jewish. Yeah, she was making matzo ball soup, and I was like, "Damn it, damn you, Cordelaine, for not having <laughs> any Jews who can make me good matzo ball soup." Yeah, when's it, when are we going to get a Jewish deli up in Coeur Oh Coeur my God, nothing would make me happier. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, make it happen. Make it happen. Um, oh yeah, there was something else I was going to say about this story and now I cannot remember. Uh, but yeah, oh, oh, I know what I was going to say. We just like on a random side note, we just saw this movie not that long ago called Jojo Rabbit. Mm, so good. So good. And definitely like around... Uh, you know, the time of the Nazis, but such a good movie, uh, kind of funny and light in some mm -hmm. moments, which feels impossible to do around the topic. Yeah. Uh, very poignant in very, in some moments. It's and a I think, movie. Yeah. And I think if you have kids that are like around the 11, 12 and older range, they will not only get it, but they will be able to relate to it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was a really great movie. Are you ready for this story? I am. This, this is the one that really freaked you out, right? This is the one that kept me up last night. I was up from like uh, three until about five. I just could not, I yeah. couldn't shake it. Okay. And, okay. It, and it is one of those stories to me that is like, it is not going to hit you when I'm reading it to you. But later, I think it's really going to nail you. Okay. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of the Sally house. If you remember oh, yeah. uh -huh, uh -huh. several episodes ago, just about a family in a house with a, a maybe like a childlike spirit getting someone yeah. to stay. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, Ooh. And, and I always think that kids are more susceptible to spirits. I just want to say that like as a yeah. overarching thought on this before we dive into it. I just think that kids are less jaded and more open. And kid ghosts are scarier because kids are demon-y. Yeah, kids anybody, are shitheads. Anybody who has kids knows that they're a little demon-ish. Totally. 
Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Got your squishy? Okay. Hey, Lindsay and Dan. My name is Jake, and I thought this story might fit in well at Scared to Death. Sorry for the length or any grammatical errors. I hope it creeps you out, even if you don't read it. But here we are, Jake. I've left out my wife and kids' names for the privacy. Thanks. Earlier this year, my family and I moved to Michigan from Colorado. I travel for work, and this move got us closer to our families while also allowing me to be home more often. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and tell this in chronological order as the events happened. Hopefully, I won't have to skip around too much and I won't make it too confusing. Now, this all started in Colorado Springs. My wife and I lived in a house with our two daughters since the spring of 2016. In July 2018, we found out that we would be adding a third kid into the mix. We'd been trying for some time and we were ecstatic to be expanding our family. Cue us digging into old boxes and busting out all of our hand-me-downs. Everything was going well with the pregnancy and by the fall of 2018, we were into the second trimester. My wife was very healthy and the baby seemed to be coming along great. But as with all scary stories, things took a turn for the worst. Mm -hmm. I will never forget this day. On the morning, two days before Thanksgiving, I woke up to the sound of my wife crying hysterically. In my haze, I reached across our bed to calm her and felt nothing but empty space. Soon, I realized her cries were coming from the bathroom, and all that was in the place next to me in the sheets was saturated blood. Uh. In the bathroom, she was trying to manage the situation, and I could tell it wasn't going well. We quickly rushed to the hospital and fearing the worst. And like most scary stories, the worst had happened. So close to the holidays and at what should be the happiest time of the year, it seemed like the worst of times was in store for us. After the doctors determined that my wife was healthy and that the miscarriage had been properly taken care of, she was released to come home. Now, I don't like the phrase taken care of to describe what happened, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what else to call it when your unborn child is unceremoniously disposed of. Tragic, maybe, but I digress. Remarkably, my wife seemed resilient and didn't want to let this spoil the holiday. The solemnness she exhibited the day before all but disappeared in her attempt to be strong for us, even though she was most heavily affected by far. She cooked Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner despite my request that she take it easy and let me deal with everything. She refused to slow down, saying that the best way to get over this is to do what I would normally do and work through it on my own way. And I decided not to argue. Mm -hmm. My wife grieved in her own way and worked herself from denial to acceptance with relative ease. We rounded out the rest of the year without incident. In fact, we found out that we were expecting again, and we were determined for a better outcome. And now that 2019 was here, it was time for shit to get real weird. (laughs) On January 3rd, we had an issue with the plumbing at our house. I got a call from my wife when I was on the road saying that our water levels had dropped. I had no idea what that meant. But apparently she'd been in the bathtub when suddenly all the water levels in the tub, the toilet, and everywhere in the house drastically fell and almost immediately weird in our front yard the waste pipe had backed up and broken through the ground i called a plumbing company and had them send a guy over to check it out he said our problem was likely the result of a clog in the water main and said he would send a camera in to take a look upon further inspection it was revealed that a clog of some kind was present and could be removed with a snake This type of procedure is very common and Mm -hmm. rectified quickly, but what came out of the clog Uh, is what's unsettling. We don't flush anything but toilet paper down our toilet. Not wipes, not those makeup things, no cotton, nothing. Yeah. So when wads of wipes 
came up from the first pass, I knew it wasn't from us. Maybe, possibly the previous owners. Right. Then on the second pass, what came up made me scream internally. It was a small stuffed bear. It was identical to one I had bought in anticipation for the baby and subsequently returned to the store after we lost the baby. I know it's easy to dismiss as someone else flushing it as well, but that toy didn't exist until 2018, three years after the previous owners lived in our house. Oh my God. I was creeped out, but the feeling passed and I didn't think much after it. Fast forward a few months. In March, we sold the house, packed up, moved to Michigan. I started my mo- I started my new job and we moved into the place we currently live in at the time as I'm writing this. All was going well and we were getting settled in. The wife thought it would be a good idea to get baby monitors cameras for our girls' room. I thought it was a great idea. Now we could keep an eye on them from anywhere and with the app on our phones, I could even talk to them with a speaker function from wherever work would take me. Yeah. I made a habit of checking in on the girls via the app when I was away and that's how I found out what was happening. One morning, I opened the app to see my four-year-old playing dolls. Her two-year-old sister was playing with her own toys nearby. And it's at this point, I hear my four-year-old talking. Not unusual, especially with the two-year-old who can kind of talk back to her. But her words don't seem directed to her sister. She turns around and talks to someone who isn't there. An imaginary friend? It isn't uncommon, and she is about that age. This behavior continues (sighs) the same way until June 2019. I check in frequently around that time to see how she acts when no one's watching and whether her sister is in the room or not, she talks to someone. It isn't long before she gives someone a name. Brother. Eventually, I hear her talking to brother when I am home and I go to her room and I say, don't you mean sister? She says, no daddy, I'm talking to brother. I tell her that she only has a sister and no brother. She says in a very matter-of-fact tone of voice, Oh, brother moved here with us. I got really quiet and left her to play for a while and talk this over with my wife. I'm a skeptic about a lot of things, but even I know this is how a horror flick starts. My wife says she hasn't heard our daughter say any of that, but she has noticed a pattern on the camera at night. What? Every night, a small pinprick of light can be seen just at the bottom of the camera's line, line of sight. It looks like a large dust particle that floats down in the sunlight and then it slowly rises to the top of the camera and the brightness intensifies and then in a flash disappears. It only lasts about 15 seconds and always occurs at exactly 11.20 p.m. And if you're keeping track, 11.20 is also the date of our miscarriage. Not long after, we hear other voices on the monitor. Not sure if our daughter is making play voices or something else. She faces away from the camera, so it's difficult to tell, but we never heard it in front of her or in person ourselves. All of this was creepy, but we didn't feel particularly haunted or negative in any way, so we let it go but kept an eye on it. All of the weird behavior ended abruptly in September, the day we brought the new baby girl home. Ah. No more brother, no lights, no voices nothing. We figured now that there was an actual new baby to focus on that our four-year-old had abandoned her imaginary friend. Yeah. Everything went back to normal and we all got acclimated to being a five-person family. Just last week, we decided to visit an apple orchard as our first big day out as a family since the new baby got here. We were walking out the front door to load into the car when our four-year-old stopped at the threshold, stared into the middle distance, and then said, Daddy, can brother come? 
I said, oh my God, so much chills. I said, no, locked eyes with my wife, who was just as concerned as I was. My four-year-old then turned around and said, daddy said, wait here. We'll be back later. Oh my God. That is they gotta get so creepy. They got a GTFO. They have to move. They have to move. Jake. Why? Is it, no, no. It's going to follow them. Well, then they need to get their daughter exercised, blessed. I mean, something. Oh, my God. So many thoughts. So, okay, share. Tell me. What are you thinking? Wow. Well, one is like, it's how sad. I know. It was really heavy. And I couldn't leave that part of the story out because it plays no, into the no. whole thing. But it was awful. But how sad if it's like like the ghost of a, of a dead person baby like a miscarried baby right but then also my brain goes to a much darker place and if like the sat like somehow some demony thing is pretending to be the the baby like the brother and his friends with the kids now it's mm -hmm. like then that is terrifying it's mm -hmm. exploiting this tragic event or this grief to like gl glom itself onto this family mm -hmm. yeah if that happened to me Ooh. Yeah, if that was happening, that's when I would, as skeptical as I am, I'd be looking for a priest. Right. Like, come on in here and like, is there any kind of ritual? Like, what do you think is happening? I, I'd be up for trying that. Okay, that happens. Crystals? I got fucking crystals in my hands. I, I'm, I've let go of my demon scepter. I'm, I only have my crystal goblets and trinkets on. Yeah. Like, oh my god, terrifying. Yeah, I mean, Eek. because Jake doesn't tell us in the story <sighs> the sex of the deceased baby. So could it? Right. I mean, I, I think they might not have known. Right. They might not have known, or they might have chosen not to know, or yeah. you know. Oof. But but I'm with you, where I'm like, what is this thing attached to my kid? Oh my god! What is it? My gut, and I have no idea why. Says it's not the baby. I don't. I don't think so. And and you, okay. So and we've talked about this before, oh, and I've never. Oh, 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 that is a really creepy one. Uh -huh. It's creeping me out more than I expected. I just won't let go. I know. I you're telling me. So I was thinking about it too. We've talked about this before and I've never done the research. So I apologize any ignorance, but we've talked about intelligent and unintelligent spirits, right? Yes. And so oh, yes. if I have this correct, an intelligent spirit attaches to a person where an unintelligent spirit attaches is, to a thing. I believe that is correct. I would have to research that again after the show, but I yeah. believe that's correct. So it would seem as though this spirit has attached to his four-year-old daughter. Correct. Or, or, or their family as a whole. But maybe, mostly the daughter. Mostly the daughter. Now, we don't know if the two-year-old is seeing oh or hearing or feeling anything. And now there's also a baby. And that's what made me think of Sally House. Because if I'm remembering that correctly, because, you know, oh I... Oh, my God. It's so creepy. I try and block these things out after we do them. Because otherwise, yeah. I would I would already be in insane asylum for lack of sleep. But in Sally House, isn't it... Um, they would like put the, the spirit would put like the stuffed animal in the middle of the room and like was like very interactive with the baby and was trying to theoretically yes, trying to push I the believe, dad out. Yes, I and believe so. To the mom. It, had, it had angry energy towards the father, mm -hmm. but wanted the mother to be its mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's so, all So my brain correct. all goes there. And so Jake, I think you got to do some investigating here. But now the, now the spirit that Jake is talking about doesn't seem malevolent or anything yet. Yet. Right. So, yet. I'm going to say crystals and sage and holy water. And then if that doesn't work, Jake, I think you have to, I, I, I know you're a skeptic, but for the sake of your child, I think you have to get a priest. Yeah. Somebody, some spiritualist in there, which and I know I have very skeptical leanings on that kind of stuff, but I, but in that situation, I'm like, I got to try something. Well, right. Cause it is different. Which, which like Jake was saying is how every horror movie goes. It, it totally is. It totally yeah. is. And I think it's different too. When it's like you as an adult versus something attaching to your child, sure, you have a sure. very different feeling yeah. about 
how you want to cope mm-hmm. with that. Eek. Eek. So happy holidays. Happy holidays, friends. That was uh, This episode ended up being much scarier than I was expecting. I thought yeah. it would be a little bit lighter. That's what I love about... The my stories. I know. Well, oh, oh, there are terrifying. so many. I mean, I have an inbox full of stories. I love it. And it is so much horror. So much horror. So much terrifying things. Like, uh, and it's so hard because I have to read them, and yeah. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, 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 and then I, I kind of skip right, around. Right, and, right. So I mean, I, I know that there are stories in the inbox going all the way back to September. So just know that, you know, yeah. we're just doing a few at a time and I appreciate them and yeah. I, I value them and and hopefully we'll get to all of them, most right. of them. But yeah, I, I just kind of pick at random. I'll look at like the subject line. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks so much for sending those in and, and, yeah, and sending those into my story at scared to death podcast.com. Uh, we, we love it. Add, it's added so much to the show. It's even showing up in the reviews and stuff on iTunes and other places where people are referencing like the my stories as being like as scary, if not scarier than the ones I tell, which I love. Yes. I love it. it is the really, more fear, the better. It is really cool. It's the whole point of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So hope you enjoyed our holiday edition uh, of this. And actually, we were going to bring our little dogs in here for the end. Yeah, we have a little, we little, have visitors. little holiday guests. Penny and Gigi. They can come Penny, in for the end of this one. Ginger. And the Come next, here. and the next one is oh, and the next Hi. one is the the New Year's uh, episode, New Year's oh. Eve. Oh, Ginger, you can come over here. This is Penny. Come here, come here, come here. Penny, say hi. Come on up uh, for oh. our, our YouTube. Uh, oh, Penny. I, I love that Ginger is basically just getting on mic. She just wants to uh, to talk and be part of the show. Well, uh, for you can send in your stories to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can send in anything else to info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Scared to Death um, Podcast. <laughs> and please subscribe, uh, Bad Magic Productions, YouTube. If you want to watch the show, if you want to see these little dingles, check us out on YouTube. Have a great holidays. Thanks to everybody on the team. Thanks to, um, uh, yeah, Harmony Bellacamp, social media. Sorry, we Joe, have problems. Joe Paisley, producing and directing Zach Flannery, working on the Bad, uh, Bad Magic Productions team as well. Sorry, I got the... I'm really trying to keep Gigi off the mic. I think she's, she's <laughs> licking it now. And uh, thanks to Joe Paisy, Zach Cohen, Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds, and to Heather Rylander for taking over the My Story at Scared to Death podcast.com emails yeah. so Lindsay doesn't have to see all of them. And enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Yes, yes. All of that. Hope you were scared to death. We'll see you next week on a pre-New Year's Eve right? episode of last, Scared to Death. Last one of the decade. Bye. Okay, bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue. 
panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.